workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. All right, you look at the passage, and uh, we're going to play a little game here. Uh, I learned this watching Sesame Street. All right, one of these things is not like the other. And uh, if you're familiar with that game, usually there would be four pictures in front of you, and three of them have something in common, and the fourth does not. And the whole part of the song was to figure out which part doesn't match the other three. Now, we've just read this verse here, and one part of that verse is different from the other three parts. Okay? Now you're looking at it, saying, okay, which can it be? We have, the first part is, we are his workmanship. Second part, we, I'm going to just keep it in a theme here, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. The third part God prepared the good works beforehand. And the fourth one is, we should walk in good works. Alright, I'll give you a clue. Three of these are reality. One is a potential. Now, you ready to play the game? Which one is not like the other? The last one, the potential. Oh boy. Guess who it's focusing on? We. Even though the other ones do too, in a way, don't they? God has, we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared these good works beforehand. All of that emphasizing him, right? What he has done for us. What he has done for us. And then we get to the last one and we say, "Uh uh-oh, there it is that we should walk in them. That's the one that stands out. And really the one that we probably have the most challenge with. Unless you thought the other ones were challenging too. Just trying to comprehend the other three is where we're at in our study anyway. Because there is a reality in this, and, and it's a true reality, that we are his workmanship, right? Yes. There's the reality here that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? Yes. There's a reality that God prepared these good works beforehand. Woo! That's a heavy thing, but it's real. He did prepare these good works beforehand. So the Lord has already determined the service we are to perform. Is that heavy stuff? It is. That's what we're studying here in Ephesians. It's a little difficult to comprehend, but it is reality. And that's what we seek to do. So, let's ask for the Lord's help today. We're going to try it again and look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4 today. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. You are so great. And as we sit together here at this time to seek to comprehend you and your ways, uh, It overwhelms us, and that's exactly where we need to be, for it brings us back to the point that you are so great, and that you would even love us is amazing, that you should choose us, that you would make us your own. We are blessed, and we ought to know it. Teach us again from your word. Challenge us. Break our our stubborn hearts.
and show us again how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. God's investment in you. That's what we're studying here. It's far greater than what we may think. We read from Scripture, and we, we understand these verses. We've seen them before. Uh, but we are so limited in our ability to comprehend the great things that God has done. In other words, we go about measuring things by, by inches and by feet, and we think that we could take the same measurements and go measure the ocean that demands miles and fathoms. And yet we walk around with our little rulers at times trying to figure out things. Uh, in case you're wondering, if you go out here any place in Hillsdale and start digging straight down, 7,921 miles, you'll break through the bottom of the Indian Ocean, which would solve all of Hillsdale's water problems, <laughs> if we should do that. But that's, that's nearly 8,000 miles of digging straight down. Now, that's a huge figure, isn't it? When you think it through, that's like, how, how do you dig such like that? We were having fun with that just yesterday, and I, I thought... How far would we have to dig to get to the other side? I don't think we're going to try it. But uh, anyway, it's a long ways to go. 7,921 miles down. Now, my hope is that as we're going through here in Ephesians, that your understanding is stretched. Mine is, every time I study through it. Stretched to understand God's great investment in you. What He has done for you. What is already a reality that you might serve him. And this is, a, this is the joy of walking through this passage. The outcome is not so that we're better thinkers, although that's not going to hurt our thinking at all to do this. It's, it's that we become better servants. We can serve with, with more of what service requires of us if we know that all the supply is there. It's already been granted to us. We've already been blessed with it all. We're not lacking a single thing. So here's a key principle as we're about to encounter verse number four here, is that uh, his work in you, God's work in you, his investment in you, was not an afterthought. There is something we see as intentional in what God has done. Precise in what God has done. Gracious in what God has done. Definite planning is in this. Thoroughness in what he has done. And there's an emphasis in the middle of it all of what Christ has done to make it possible. And after all, it is a communion Sunday, right? So we're going to be able to give that wonderful emphasis today on the work of Christ, of what he has done. So let's look at the words today. In verse number 4, it comes right off the heels of verse 3 where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us. Here's where we are today. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. We're going to stop right with that phrase today. He chose us. Now, I'm going to scramble the word order just a tiny little bit here uh, for the emphasis and start with the fact that he chose us before the foundation of the world. 
Then we'll go to, with, he chose us in him, and then he chose us to be holy and blameless before him. That's where we're going. But the most remarkable thing in this verse, as I read through it, is those three words, he chose us. He chose us. Take that through for a minute. He chose us. Paul is making a case here. He says, just as he chose us. Uh, it, it, he's speaking almost in legal terms. As it's agreeable to the fact. Right? In other words, he's going to present his case right now. He had said, he blessed us, right? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's, that's a lot. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. And he says, now let's hit the list. Just as he chose us. He chose it. Now, these things that we're going to notice from verse 4 on are what we might call big blessings. All right? They kind of stand out. Theologically, they do. Uh, when we study, they, we make outlines to this effect. The, the evidence of God's blessing in our lives, the book of Ephesians is not sufficient to cover them. All of Scripture is not sufficient to cover all that God has done for us. There's not enough words in our language to cover all that God has done for us. But he does hit some of these highlights along the way. Not because they're just theological positions that we can hang our hats on, um, but there are these ones, I believe, that we're going to see are abundantly profitable to us to understand so that we can live by them. They, they make a difference in that regard. See, these blessings, are, they're listed, and I don't think they're listed in any kind of order or anything, but I like this one first especially because it's the one that usually starts what we understand of our relationship with God. He chose us. He chose us. Now, they had some fun with this in the Greek uh, uh, study of this, they, they bring it out as a middle voice verb, um, which I should test uh, Phil here on this, but i let him get off. All right. That means he chose us for himself. Doesn't that sound sweet? That's the nature of this word. He chose us for himself. What a beautiful expression already you can see. It. He has blessed us by choosing us. Choosing us for ourselves. In theology, we call it the doctrine of election, and men have argued over it for years with different aspects and things. I want to see the reality. Right here in front of you, you see it too. Did he or did he not choose us? He did. He chose us for himself. And understanding that will, will help us with the rest of the verse. Just the joy that I start with. He has chosen us. Now, I wasn't an athlete in high school, or, or before that even as well. When the school used to pick their teams, you know, at recess and things to play games, I was always one of those last ones standing there. Um, I always thought I had so little to, to commend myself with as far as that is concerned. And, and you know, in school, athletics, that's a big thing. And, and I just wasn't one that people like to pick first. Um, and then I think that God might pick me, that God did choose me. That's amazing. Uh, to me, it's an amazing thing that he should do that. And the fact is that still, when I look at myself, there's nothing to commend myself before him. Matter of fact, there is nothing to commend myself before him. 
nothing, and he should choose me. That's an incredible concept. And I don't need a mirror to convince myself of that. I simply go to the timing of his choosing, and I understand it. Verse number 4, we see that. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That little phrase is the casting down in the Greek. It's the idea of, of creation. But it's kind of an interesting graphic concept. The casting down of the world. Uh, we call it foundation at times. Or creation, it might be in your translation. And here again, we are so limited as to what took place before the existence of this world. So limited. People go about studying fossils. And, and they, I don't, there's a joy in that somewhere, I think. I don't know what it is. But, but they will study a fossil and they'll try to determine things according to, to fossils. But there are no fossils here in this verse. It's before the foundation of the world. So you can't go digging up things to get clues as to what it was like at that. It's even beyond uh, anything that we could do because we measure by tangible things. We measure by things we can touch and feel and see and hear and smell. We, we work on those you know, sensory type of receptors that help us understand things. There are no tangible things in this verse to work with when he says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. In other words, we have to trust somebody who was there and trust what they told us about it, right? We have a little word for that we call faith. Faith. We have to believe what somebody has told us about the creation of this world. Maybe that's why it's in Hebrews chapter 11. The very first reference to the whole thing of faith in Hebrews 11 is this verse. By faith, we understand that the world were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Faith is essential for understanding creation, but it's also essential for understanding verse number four that we're studying here today. He chose us before the foundation of the world. This isn't a message on creation. This is a message on before creation. All right? Before creation. Now, here's some logic for you. You can work it through as well. If it is before creation, I wasn't there. Can you say the same thing? I think so. If it's before creation, we weren't there, were we? We were not there. And if I wasn't there, then I had no input in God's choice of me. I couldn't tell him how wise I was. I couldn't show him my education. I couldn't walk through with all my skills. I couldn't tell him all the potential I had. I couldn't even show him how great I looked. There's nothing I can do to persuade him. I wasn't there. You see where this starts? It's an amazing thing when you set up the first phrase, before the foundation of the world. Now people will say this, and there's theological positions that said, well God looked down the corridor of time and he saw me, and he figured that I was one likely to respond to his choosing of me, so he chose me. And that's what they, they work with this. And, and honestly, there's some things in there that kind of trouble me. Number one is, that puts me as the chooser, and God as the responder. 
he's waiting for me to make the first move so that he can receive me. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's consistent with the fact that he's the initiator of everything. He initiates, he initiates, he initiates, and I am the responder. Now, also, his choice of me was not dependent on me. I'm really glad to say that. His choice of me was not dependent on me. There wasn't anything that I could do. And if it was dependent on me, I would be fulfilling some other wonderful verses that say, oh, we like sheep have gone astray, we've led everyone to his own way, and I'd be one of those too, if it was dependent on me. But it wasn't dependent on me. And on top of that, I couldn't have responded anyway. Scripture tells us this so clearly. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 starts, and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Right? Now, a simple little logical thing for you, but when it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that means we were completely unresponsive. Completely unresponsive. And unless the Lord initiates the response, it will never come. Scripture calls us helpless. Scripture calls us hopeless without God. Just a simple thing for you. I am very pleased to read, He chose me. He chose me before my input, before my advice, before my pleadings, before my merit, anything that I could offer Him. There was nothing on my side to commend me to Him. Nothing. Now, perhaps even as I'm speaking, you realize that I could change the pronoun from me to you. What have we, any of us, to offer before Him and say, pick me? He chose us before the foundation of the world. Before those preachers and those teachers and those theologians and their philosophers even breathed their first breath, God had already chosen. Before we could be compared to... Uh, uh, the lion or the elephant, and to see which one God would rather have, he had already chose us. Before he saw that we could create a wheel, he chose us. Before the sun even shone in the sky, he chose us. You get the picture? Isn't this an awesome picture? He chose us. That, that means he did it all for himself, and he left none of the choice for us. He chose us. Awesome, awesome verse. Let the choice entirely up to him. Now, it's, it's, it's an astonishing blessing. And I'm glad it's not dependent on human deeds. It's not dependent on human faith, for that matter. There's an Old Testament picture that corresponds with this. And Paul uses it in the book of Romans. If you want to see it, it's in chapter 9. I'll just kind of sum up what happens here. Paul is arguing on, on God's ability to choose before anything else is done. And he uses a picture of Rebecca and her twin sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. And he mentions here in this passage, in Romans 9, verse 10, on through a couple of verses to follow, he says, not only this, but there was Rebecca also. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born, look at this phrase, for though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, 
so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of the works, but because of him who caused. It was said of her, the older will serve the younger. Now, a simple thing you just saw. God's choice, right? Was it based on things they had done? No, it was not. Before they even had an opportunity to put their input in, God had chosen one over the other. That's an Old Testament picture. In Ephesians, you've got another phrase that you're very familiar with, I know. In chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, simple little phrases that say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of what? Works. Lest anyone should boast. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now that kind of hits us on two sides. Amazingly, it does. For those of us who get so proudful, (laughs) I hope it's not any of us, but if somebody should accidentally come in and they're that way, we understand them. Uh, Prideful people who, who think, you know, of course God chose me. And they go through the whole catalog of why he did and such. It's not of works, right? Nothing we could commend ourselves. But there's another group that also walks in and, and they say, but if he only knew what I did, 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 what I did. And they could sink themselves down to lower than a worm, right? You've ever met those folks? And they say, well, we have nothing here. And notice again, it's not based on what we've done. Not on the good things we've done. It's not based on the bad works we've done. Aren't you glad? Now, if you really want to emphasize works, you've got to live by that system. If you want to go with Scripture, you just step back and say, God chose me, and enjoy that blessing. It wasn't based on what we've done. No human merit at all. It's all eliminated when you say before the foundation of the world. His greatness is magnified in that picture. He chose us. Now, I've emphasized human merit an awful lot here this morning for this very reason. Since it is a communion Sunday, we do need to go directly to the merit that brought it all about. And that's also in this verse. He chose us in Him. Who is Him? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's our emphasis throughout this passage. Matter of fact, it's a beautiful thing. It's indispensable that we understand this. We, we just have to know it. It's crucial He chose us in Him. All of God's dealing with us, God has chosen to do it through Him, Jesus Christ. Through Him, by Him, in Him. It's in every single verse as we go through this. When we talk about being predestined according to adoption of the Son, through Jesus Christ, it says in verse 5. When it talks about redemption in verse number 7, it's through His blood. When it talks about uh, all these uh, things that God has done, He's done it in Him, through Him, by Him. You wanna, uh, if you're an underliner, and you start going through this passage and underline every single phrase that references Christ and what we have through Him, you're going to mark up this whole chapter. In Him, in Him, in Him, through Him, through Him, through Him, by Him. By Him, by Him. That's essential for us. Matter of fact, you ready for a trip? This is fun. Romans 5.17. Let's, let's 
do a handful of verses here, just for fun. Watch the common theme. It's not just in Ephesians. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, that's Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You see that? The abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness. Where does it come from? Through the one Jesus Christ. Now a few pages later is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not far down the road here, next book. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 30. I'm going to try to convince you, okay? But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption... That's a list. All of it, how did we get that? In Christ Jesus. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Next book. Next book, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse number 21. Another familiar passage you know. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. What are we talking about there? Crucifixion of Christ, right? He was crucified on our behalf. He took our sin. We see that very... He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. How? In him. You see it again? That's important. Let's try Philippians. You're just close to that. Ephesians is... The one we're in, Philippians follows it. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 11. Just a phrase in the middle of it all. Where it says, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How did you get your righteousness? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you starting to see the theme? One more. Chapter 3 of Philippians and verse number 9. Paul is saying here, he says, And may be found in him, that's Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. This is a beautiful collection of words. God has been consistent with that message, hasn't he? All the way through, you'll find it. You want to keep looking? You can spend the rest of the day just scanning through the epistles, and it says, through him, by him, in him, through him, by him, in him. It's emphasized over and over. He saved us not on the basis of the things we have done. Not on the basis of the things we have done. But on the basis of what he has done. Christ Jesus our Lord. We approach a table, we call it remembrance, communion service. We remember it. And, I, and I'm always still 
amazed, and I say this every time I know, but he told his disciples when he shared this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. How can we forget when we think of what he has done for us? How can we forget? We, we come here to remember. We remember it's our Savior, Jesus Christ. He died for us. That he gave his, his body to be crucified. He gave his blood to be shed for us, right? He did this for us. Not because he's some victim of circumstances, but he's a victor over sin, over death, over the grave. And so we sing these songs, and you know them. Long my imprisoned lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, and thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. I'm set free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And you know the next words, right? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Isn't that just an awesome thing when you think it through? God chose us. Christ died for us. Does that sound like His choosing was important? Yes! That's a blessing He's given to you. So we read in Colossians 2 these words, and if you want to see them, they're in 2, 13, 14, and 15, but I'll just read them to you. When you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your heart, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death, or death, debt, consisting of decrees against us. They were hostile to us, and He has taken them all out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. When He has disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. When you read that God has chosen you, never leave off the fact that Jesus made it possible. Jesus made it possible. He is our Savior. He's our mediator. He's our great high priest. We cannot even approach the Holy Throne unless we have one who intercedes for us. This is crucial, isn't it? Crucial to our understanding. We do not minimize the work of Christ in any way. The cross is not a secondary point in the will of God. Some will say, and to their, to their doom they say this, that there's other ways to heaven. There's other ways to access uh, the things of God. And folks, that's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. God has so designed it that no one comes to the Father but through Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you know Him? That's the beauty of this little passage. He chose us in Him. That's where we stand right now. We stand chosen in Him. And what difference does that make? That's the blessing we're talking about here. That, that's, that's God's plan. It will not change. I could preach it to this generation here, and if the Lord lets me live 150 years and I'm preaching to another generation, the word would still be the same. That's the way God designed it. 
through Christ. Only through Christ. Through Him. So don't miss those little words. They're the biggest words on the page. In Him. That's big. But in case you're thinking, wow, this is great, Pastor, let's move it up one more octave. You ready? Third simple point is, He chose us to be holy and blameless before Him. Say, oh no, this is where it gets uncomfortable too, doesn't it? Hang on. This is fun. This is fun. Our English translation here, where it says, And he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. You see that phrase, we would be? You might have something similar to that in what you're reading right now. We should be, or we would be holy and blameless before You know, there's still, in the way we render that in English, a little touch of responsibility, right? We read that and we say, oh, now this is where it comes down to us. We've got to do something to maintain this. God set it up and we've got to figure out how to keep it going. That we would be holy and blameless before him, that we should be this. Uh, we, we read it like a should. We should be, that, that it's suggesting that, that it's based on our responsibility. Or we say we would be, based on the idea that it's some far off thing and eventually we're going to get there. That we would be that way. Now what if I told you this? That this isn't a potential in the Greek. And this is not a future tense verb in the Greek. It's a present infinitive. Infinitive, what's that? It's a word to live, to eat, to drink. We put that two word in front of it. Here it is, to be holy. To be blameless. It's all present tense. That means we're not waiting for something. Guess when it's taking place? Now. Say, so, oh, well, wait a minute, Pastor. You didn't see me when I got up this morning. This is what God has designed. All right? Now listen to this. This is, this is incredible to me. He chose us to be holy and blameless before Him. He's not waiting for you to figure out how to do that. He's already chosen that. Do you see it? He's already chosen that. It, the, the whole thing in God's collect, uh, uh, election here of us is this goal of blamelessness. It's not based on human responsibility. I don't see me doing anything but receiving it in these passages. God is the only one that can make someone blameless. Isn't that true? God is the only one who can make someone holy, right? So don't take credit for the last part either. When it says that he has done this, God chose us to be blameless. Christ paid for it that it might be done. And this is where it's going to show up. In God's plan, before him, this is awesome, this is awesome, before him, directly in front of his eyes, Right in his sight, we are what? You're afraid to say it, aren't you? It says we were chosen to be holy and blameless. Now, it's because it's in Christ that these words are only possible to say. Understand this? It's only because of Christ that we can say this thing. Because we cannot be holy and we cannot be blameless in any other way than through Christ. And so what does God see? He sees us in 
the righteousness of Christ. He sees us in the righteousness of Christ. We are dressed in His righteousness. We sing the song, My hope is based on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? We also like the song we sing, the second verse of My hope is in the Lord, is no merit of my own, His anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. That's the only way we can stand before a holy God is through Christ. And His His righteousness is our merit. We stand before Him. I, I just can't say how awesome that is. But as uh, Phil read to us this morning, he said in First John chapter 3, it talks about, and we shall, when we will see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And you say, wow, that's what we're going to be? Yeah. Guess what you are? In God's sight, you are in Christ Jesus, accepted in the Beloved, right? He sees you as this. Now, all of a sudden, how do you want to live? Oh, you see, the practical side of it all of a sudden pop out there, don't you? Because now we say, okay, he who has this hope fixed on him does what was read in that passage, purifies himself just as he is pure. We do respond to that. And that's all we can do is respond. And our lives should reflect that, shouldn't it? If I am a child of a king, should I live like the slave? If I've been set free from sin, should I go back and live in it? Oh, you've got the heart of the Old New Testament now, don't you? That's the application every single time. If this is who we are in God's sight, we should live up to that in our, in our behavior. See, someday it will be fully realized. I can't wait. I, I'm pretty sure when we get to heaven, the first ten minutes, we're not even going to recognize ourselves. We're going to say, what's this? <laughs> Never known this before. The being like Christ. My favorite verse. Absolute favorite is in Jude. Where it gets to the very conclusion of that passage. He says, now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to make us stand before His presence in glory, blameless, with great joy. Whoa! Oh, it gives me goosebumps. This is God's blessing. He chose you. You see it? He chose you. He chose you before the foundation of the world in Christ. He chose you to be holy and blameless people. He chose you. And God wants you to know this today. He wants you to know it. He's written it in His Word. Uh, if we had to work and work and work and work and gain these things on our own, number one, we couldn't do it. But number two, when would we have any time to serve Him if we had to work so hard to get these things? But now that they are yours, guess what you do with your spare time? Serve Him. Serve Him. That's what I mean. He's blessed us with all these things. He's invested everything in you that you may be able to serve Him with everything you need. That's the beauty of a section like this. Now, often, when we come to this table, we come with a sadness of heart. And I understand that. We remember the death of Christ. We know that He went on a cross because of our sin. There's a, there's a great deal of, of regret in that. In my own heart, I think of that. Uh, he died to pay for my sins. That's, a, that's astounding to me. 
a horrific death at that. And we're about to approach this table. And maybe this morning, there are things that aren't right between you and God. And you know, it's time for you to do something. Like talk to Him about it. Scripture makes it so clear. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That's a place to start. If right now you're starting to think, well, yeah, he died for me and those sins, I've never talked to him about it. Talk to him about it. Even while we're finishing up here. But there's also something else I want to encourage you to do as we approach this table today. Let's start with thankful hearts today. Thankful hearts. Because of what Christ did at that cross, these blessings are ours. They're in Christ Jesus. They're given to us. David wrote it this way, and I I like this little psalm. It starts in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, A song of praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. We have a solid rock that we stand on today. We have a song in our heart, don't we? He said, do this in remembrance of me. Isn't this a beautiful remembrance? Are you thankful? That's what I call you to be even now as we participate together at this communion table. The men are come. Coming forward, I invite them to do that. I want to let you know that our communion service is not based on membership, uh, but it is based on a relationship. It's based on you knowing Christ as Savior. He died for you, and this is a remembrance of His body. This is a remembrance of His blood that was shed for you. And I trust that you have believed Him as your Savior and as your Lord. You've accepted Him and received Him as such. And as a result of that, I welcome you to participate with us. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, as those uh, cups are passed your way, or the plates are passed your way, uh, let them go by. But think of what you're doing again. The invitation is before you. The Lord said in His Word, you could call upon His name and be saved. And you could do that right now. If you do not know Him as your Savior, just let it pass by. But remember, there is a Savior who loves you dearly and died for you. He's offered to you eternal life in His name. And I hope you've received Him. So we're going to remember this today. And we're going to celebrate and be thankful for what He has done.